Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of the Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Welcome into the podcast, sir. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Brett. You're, the pleasure, actually, as they say, is all mine. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. We'll see yeah. how we find how we wind up at the end of our conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> your publicist, this is exactly what she told me, and I quote, he has a million projects coming out, and he has a lot to talk about. So What's been going on with you, Sean? We're coming out of the pandemic, but we're pretty much out. Everybody's back to normal. You're touring. Everybody's touring. What, what's yeah. been going on with you? What's been keeping you busy? I mean, first and foremost, I think it's really awesome that my mom calls herself my publicist now. <laughs> and <laughs> not, not, no, it's kidding. Her name's Samantha. She does a great job. She's my manager. Um, no, uh, that's not my mom. That's my manager. I just realized I just called my mom. I said, I, I confused the audience. Like, wait, is his mom named Samantha? I thought you were just being funny no. personally. I mean, it could have worked either way. <laughs> no, no, it's no, my, my, my mother would, my mom, if my mom were my publicist, she'd be like, Oh, just who cares what he's doing? Just go see it. Just go fucking see it. But no, my, uh, uh, I have a manager named Samantha and, uh, that's who, that's who hit you up. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, uh, there's an old saying that is when it rains, it pours. And, you know, there's just a lot, you know, uh, the, the pandemic kind of slowed everybody's life down, you know, um, even though here in New York, we were doing outdoor shows yeah. starting roughly about a year ago, you know, outdoors on rooftops and in parks and uh, sometimes uh, like on the side of the on a sidewalk, which where which comedy doesn't belong on, you know, it really doesn't. Um, but we did it. And now it's like, you know, I got, I'm, I'm doing an album recording, uh, August 5th through 7th at, at, at the helium comedy club in Portland, Oregon. Um, excited about that. That's a great club. And it's with the helium network. They're at, uh, you know, albums that they, 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 they do great stuff. And then I'm recording a, or shooting a special in new Orleans in, uh, February. And, and they, and they and these are two different hours because I've just been, you know, building, 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 but I haven't recorded much in the past, you know, five years. I, and that's my fault. I have just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm an exceptionalist. You know what I'm saying? Like I overthink and try and make everything perfect, but you can't be perfect. You just gotta, at a certain point, you just gotta trust your creation and be like, get out there, get out there and go make something of yourself. Bits. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I don't think that you're the only one. Mm, like I've talked no. to other comedians like Steve Burns, 
comes to mind, for example, like he's not, I mean, it's not a dig, you know, he's not one that does like a tour and then an album and then a special and then a tour and then a special, you know, like cranking these things out. And he, he said something kind of interesting. It made you, what you said made me think of the same thing. It's like, you know, pretty soon it's just like an hour in front of a curtain in front of an audience, just one more thing. And if that works for some people, that's great. I want to ask you, you mentioned the comedy on the sidewalks, which I saw people mm. doing that, which I found interesting. I found the Zoom shows to be even more interesting. But did you do any Zoom stuff or rooftop shows? Or I mean, I saw a few people doing that. Oh, certainly, bro. Certainly. I did. I did a lot of Zoom shows and Zoom shows were interesting because I don't know. They, they, they were it, it really does uh, expose the level of insecurity any any comedian or performer is under at that uh, is is influenced by at that moment because like a lot of the time you are not of course it's nothing it's not even close to being similar to a live performer it's not even it's not even arguable it's crazy it's it's like you know there's no vibe you're in a room by yourself and there's people online and even if you have the volume cranked all the way the fuck up it doesn't matter like you can't really hear the laugh, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. so you find, you find yourself a lot of times being like, okay, like I know that's good. I just have to trust it. That's what, that's the one thing I enjoyed about zoom shows was it made me trust material more. Interesting. And it, it yeah. And it made me figure out which bits I didn't trust as much because, um, and then there were bits that you write that I wrote during the zoom show era that the first time I did them live was like, uh, uh let's hope this, Okay, I hope this works. It's like it's like the first day you send a homeschool child to real school where you're like, oh, God, I hope it knows how to interact with the other bits, you know, but that's funny. Ultimately. Yeah, but like the sidewalk shows are oof, that stuff was rough, man. It was a rough outdoor shows are they work, but they have to be in the right situations. You know, they have to be like a comedy show. People have to know what they're getting into. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. at that point, people were probably just desperate for content and people sure. like yourselves were like pulling their hair out because nobody expected this to last as long as it did. It's interesting. Right. Did you do drive in shows at all? Because I know some people were doing that. I heard that was really wild. Cars honking, you know, when yeah, people yeah. were telling jokes and, you know, <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff. It was crazy. I, I, I did not do a drive. I never did a drive-in show. Those seem to be predominantly West Coast or like other parts of the country out here. Now, we were there were a couple of drive-in shows early on, I remember, but they kind of faded because people realized, you know, new, here in New York, not that many people. The car culture is not that huge out here. Sure. I mean, not a lot of people don't drive. I mean, especially a lot. Yeah. If you're living in the city, I mean, people, some might own a car, but I digress. It's interesting because when I talk to different comedians, they all obviously have a process. But for you, it's a little bit different. Like you're are you one to just kind of write and write and write and then try things out? And, and are you finding yourself constantly working on things and, you know, kind of tweaking and twisting before you decide that you want to present it to the public? Um, it's a, it could be a combination of the, uh, it, 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 because I find that sometimes you say something and it just comes out ready, okay. you know, or you have a thought and it's just there already. That's rare for me, but, 
but it happens. And then sometimes I'll have an idea or say something out loud where I'm like, oh, I know that's something. I can also tell it's going to take me a while to to extract the honey from it. You know what I mean? Like, and you just kind of, you know, I approach everything with the same sort of uh, I keep it fresh. Excuse me. I, as you can hear, my voice is just now adjusting to as many live shows as they suddenly are, you know, we're back. But um, I like to keep everything fresh for me because I'm the one who has to perform it. And if I, if it's fresh for me, then it's going to be even fresher for the audience. It's going to be even more enjoyable for them because I like, I have to enjoy it first. Right. And I, I see that a lot in other comedians and I don't critique them on it. I don't even tell them I don't, because I feel like it's, you know, everybody's got their own system, but like I can tell when someone's been doing a bit for too long, there's like just like a natural sort of like autopilot that can set in. There's sort of a natural sort of subconscious boredom on their behalf where they're sure. just like, I'm just saying this again. And I, I've been, and I've been there. I've been in that headspace before and I, I hate it. I don't like it. So I will constantly be I, every bit to me. No bit is ever done. It is never completed until you record it and put it out there. Then it's, out there whatever whatever form it's in then that, that that's a form it's in but i like to constantly be tinkering with everything i like to constantly be like trying to find a better way to word it trying to find a, a better way a faster way to get to the punchline or sometimes a slower way sometimes to make the build that more tense and then when you get to the punchline bam it's a bigger explosion like i constantly look for ways to improve everything and that can get frustrating because it means i might take something that works and just disassemble it completely and then rebuild it and it doesn't work as well but now i'm like shit i don't want to go back so i can only go forward so now i've got to disassemble it again and reconstruct it in a way where it's better than it was when it worked and that sometimes can take a while but i find it's worth yeah i find that very interesting because i've seen comedians perform and I've followed them for a long time. And you hear, you know, specials from five, six, seven years ago, but then you mm-hmm. can see them. And then sometimes some of those jokes make their way back in there. I don't know oh, if yeah. they've redone them or it's just because they know it's material that's going to work. Do you find that as a comedian, just overall, that mm-hmm. can be one of the biggest challenges? Because obviously, if you have something that works, you know, it's going to work. Uh, you do it, you know people are going to laugh. It's like the greatest hits of Sean. Do you do you find yourself almost subconsciously wanting to even avoid that maybe because you know it's going to take a lot of work to reconstruct a joke or maybe use a different economy of words to to keep it fresh, if, if that makes sense? No, that makes total sense. I mean, um, I could definitely say I, 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 I don't think there's anything wrong with repeating material in recordings. Like, you know, it, it seems like maybe years ago, maybe back in the eighties or nineties, that, that once you recorded something, it was just out there and that was it uh, as far as like ever touching it again. But like nowadays, I think you could probably be, get You could probably get away with doing something in two or three different recordings, just because there's so many options now. Sure. And people, not everybody's going to see like the fact that there are people who have HBO specials and it didn't really change their lives that much. You know, it just speaks to the volume of how much volume there is. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but I, I know for me personally, I do 
once I get record something like record, record it, um, the chances of me repeating it on another recording, uh, it all depends on the context of the recording, you know, but like, I like to, and if I'm going to do it, I like to at least improve upon it. I like to at least rework it. Like for, I mean, for example, there's a bit I have now that I recorded for Australian TV back in 2018. Right. And I kind of stopped doing it after that. And then about three months ago, I did it again, just kind of like in the moment I was at a show and it just kind of came out and I was like, huh. And then I started doing it again. And I, I feel I vastly improved upon it. So now I'm going to record that bit in my album next month. And yes, it is the same bit from that, uh, that Australian TV taping, but it is a better version of it, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. I like yeah. that. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I find what you do so fascinating because of that reason. Mm -hmm. You can take something and it's funny, present it, tell it, and then go back and switch it around and retool it. What part of the process do you find the most challenging as a comic? Do you find writing premises challenging, finding mm -hmm. points of view? Like, obviously, there's X number of premises that can exist, but then taking it from that to, like, stretching it out, writing the jokes, maybe putting tags on it, and then turning mm. it into Sean Patton. Like, when I go pay to see you at a comedy club, this is this is the show that we're getting. Like, you've taken it from concept to presentation. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. And I'd say, honestly, the... the, the, the what I'm about to say is going to sound fucking insane, but um, I think at a certain point to be a successful comedian, you have to stop relying on the audience's reaction to know whether a joke is funny or not. And that's sure. crazy. That's crazy because a lot of people can misinterpret a sentence like that and be like, Oh, you don't have to get laughs. Cool. I'll just go up there and say whatever whatever the hell I want. And who cares? Not, not what I'm saying at all. Um, yes. You still want to get laughs. Obviously it's the, it's the, it's the point. Yes. You still want to make people laugh, but there's a way about how you perform and how you deliver and how you speak at a show that has to come from within the confidence has to come from here, knowing that, because I've seen this happen too many times. And I, it really bothers me when I'm watching a show, when a comic tells a joke, and it doesn't get the reaction they want. And then they comment on it. The, the comedian has to be like, well, that usually murders or, well, okay, well that killed last week or, well, that was, I don't know what your problem is. That joke's amazing. And I've even, I myself have been guilty of that, but what I've learned through performing, not only here in the States, but uh, I, you know, I performed in a majority of, of not, I haven't performed everywhere on the planet earth, but I've, you know, been to other, other continents you learn that like people laugh differently. Sure. It's not, it's not always a, ha, it's not always that. Sometimes it really is like a quiet sort of reserved. Some people like the Brits, you'll do a show in, in certain parts of the UK and you'll be up there thinking I am bombing right now. So you just sort of get through it. And then afterwards there's a horde of people like, Oh mate, that was brilliant. And you're like, why weren't you laughing? And they're like, we were. And then you sort of realize, like, yeah, some people laughter can be internal. Some people laugh. It's like, it's not always this bulbous, bombastic, loud sound. Yes, that's the best version. Yes, that's the one we all want to hear constantly. But 
You're not always going to get that. So you've got to have a confidence about you where you know, like, if I do this bit and it doesn't get this reaction I want, that was my plan. The audience has got to feel that from you. They got to feel like, okay, nothing shakes this comedian. Nothing deters them. And slowly but surely, they will put more and more of their faith in you to where by the end of that show, they are a thousand percent glommed on whatever you're doing. And then you're, and then you feel that. And now you're giving them a thousand percent of yourself. And it's this beautiful, beautiful mingling. It's, it's not always what happens, you know? No, no, I totally get it. It's interesting. I like how you caveated on the fact that a, a seasoned comic, if you're like an open micer and it's like your first month or two out, I think yeah. you're like, I think Nate Bergazzi said, it's like you want people to be laughing at your jokes. But if you're doing this 10, 15, 20 years and you don't always get a laugh where you think you should or not, it's okay because that kind yeah. of silence is golden because you haven't lost the room or the audience, but you're just, it's it just comes with experience, right? I mean, I think that's the best way I can explain it. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sure you take a, you know, a Seinfeld or a Chappelle or whoever, if they go and perform and they don't get laughs every night, I'm certain they're like yourself and probably aren't even thinking about, well, did I offend or did I, you know, it just comes with doing the job for as long as you've done it. Right. Cause that makes what yeah. you do as an expert. Well, also like, I mean, I, I mean, there's this one bit I was doing for, I still do it. I'm actually going to do it on the special later of the year, but like, there's a bit I was doing about um, it was about the idea of, of bouncers being about why we don't see any female bouncers <laughs> in America. Okay. Cause other countries, you go to Australia uh, or, or England, there's a lot, there's a lot of female bouncers. You just never see that here. And I remember I did it and it was, it would always kind of do okay. And I remember I did it one show and uh, Mark Norman was on after me and that bit just kind of each, it just bombed. And I was like, Ugh. And then I remember like two, two nights in a row. It was like then later on that week, it was two shows in a row. Mark and I were on the same show. And I, the first show I know he was watching my set and that bit ate it again. And then the next night, it, you know, same lineup, the bit ate it again. And then there was like one, it was like four times in a row. I remember in my head being like, is it, if Mark's here, that bit might bomb. It might be like, a, <laughs> like, it, is it his presence? And, and, but then like, you know, and then it bombed again. And Mark's an old friend. And then like a year and a half later, out of out of nowhere, we're just sitting at the table at the cellar. And he's like, hey, why, why, why don't you do that bit about female bouncers anymore? And I was like, oh, and I was like, because you, you saw it. It ate it. It ate it like five times. It just, I couldn't. And he was like, what are you crazy? He's like, I didn't eat it. He's like, I, I quote, he's like, I told people about that joke. And I was like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, you were in your head. That fit was not eating it. And then I did it again. Like that, not that night, but like a couple nights later. And just kind of like did it with this sort of, I, I, I let go of it. I wasn't holding it so tightly, if that makes sense. I just sort of like presented it. And, and I, I was like, oh my God, this killed. And then I realized, looking back, what I was expecting from the bit was so much more when in reality, I should have just been doing it and been letting it breathe on stage. And it was and Mark's like, you know, a buddy, we go back and he's you know, he's a guy doing five spots a night and just crank it out. I get one of the best joke writers in, in the country and, and in the world, arguably. And like he it took him just kind of getting back into my head being like, no, man, 
you, you weren't bombing. That bit was not bombing. And that kind of made me realize like, oh, you know, it's my expectations versus the audience's. And you've got to temper that. You've got to like trust in yourself, trust in your material, but also to counter what I was just saying or to add to it, don't expect everything out of your mouth to change the world because then you might not notice when it actually does. That makes sense. Wow. That's very profound. I think that can be applied to anything, my friend. My God. Very much. Yeah. I love it. I yeah. mean, and Mark's coming on the show next week. So I'm excited. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Mark's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Well, you know, there's a lot of things about what you do fascinating, but you also, you do your comedy, you tour, but you also have a podcast. Um, I, I would do. love to talk about that as we, we wrap here about the podcast sure. five words. Um, it's on yeah. the all things comedy network, yes. uh, with Caitlin cook, which is hilarious by the way. And we'll make sure people can access that in our show notes. Sure. Sure. I mean, it's a great podcast. It's a, it's a bar. It's a, a game that you should do at bars where we would just ask our friends, give us five words from a random story from today. Doesn't matter. And we'll, we'll guess it. And we're never right. The, 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 the point isn't to be right. If you can honestly guess someone's accurate story from just five random words of it, you're a psychic. You should have an OnlyFans page. You know? um, <laughs> OnlyFans. Yeah, <laughs> but you send me send me five words, but also nude. But um, yeah, and then we just start doing it as a podcast. It's been a great, it's been a great, it's been a great time. And all things comedy network, they're awesome, you know. So uh, a lot of other great podcasts on that network as well. Um, I also have a, I also have another. Can I plug a second podcast? I, I have? plug whatever you want, my friend. It's it's all about you, man. Oh, I have another. Thank you. I have another podcast called Raw Beef. <laughs> With uh, Tanael Jokim and uh, uh, Wilfred Padwa. We do it on the Helium Network. Helium also has a podcast network. And it's the three of us, three comedians, and every week we just talk about something we got beef with, you know? And we cook, we cook the beef, which is just talk it out till we come to a conclusion where it's solved. We, we're not solving anything, but <laughs> just making it easier for us to sleep at night, I guess, you know? Uh, well, I mean, hey, yeah. with this day and age, I think that's really best that you can ask for. I mean, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think podcasting is such a broad spectrum, especially, you know, a lot of comedians who do them. It's like just another outlet, you know, to have that creativity flow mm -hmm. and really just to be able to be yourself, I think. And yeah. uh, looking back at your career, I mean, everything that you've done, I think, my God, I think that's what makes you appealing as a comic is one of the many things is that you're honest about what you talk about and you just you're you you know what i mean like there's not i a try TV, there's not a tv version and then like a podcast version and then a comedy club version like what you see is what you get and i feel like you know true authenticity is what sells to be honest in my in my opinion you're a hundred oh dude <laughs> totally yeah authentic is is even if someone's an asshole, you still want them to be authentic. You still want an authentic asshole. You know, yeah, like, it's funny, you which which you are not, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Well, like I think of Anthony Jeselnik, who has this persona on yeah. stage, who's like a sniper. But really, even in person, he's just the normal guy. Very kind. But he I think he knows people want that from him when they're interviewing yeah. him. So he gives it to them because it's kind of like. 
you know, an expectation, I guess, as a publicist or an interviewer or a journalist, because you kind of, it just makes for the natural thing for people to be drawn to. I love it. You have so many things coming out. There's the album, there's the special, the podcast. If people want to listen to that or connect with you on social media, find out where you're going to be in a town near you, where can that be done? Um, uh, uh, social media, follow me on Instagram. It's at Mr. Sean Patton. I'll just add Mr. Sean Patton. Um, I was going to add a .com to the end of it, but there isn't one. But <laughs> as far as .com is concerned, my website, me, SeanPatton.com, I've got a bunch of tour dates coming up uh, this month. Lead, I'm in, you know, Brea, California, Hollywood, California, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, St. Louis, Missouri, and then the album recording at Helium in Portland, August 5th through 7th. So, yeah. And if you're ever in the Bay Area again, you know, I know you've been out here a few times. Yeah, there will be a there will be a return. Yeah, you, I think usually hit Cobbs or Punchline or maybe both. Punchline usually, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, just right up the road for me. Fantastic, man. This has been an honor to chat with you. I love you, man. I love your comedy. And I think, you know, I'm excited to see what's next. Uh, thanks for joining me, Sean. I appreciate it. I thank you so much for having me, Brett. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.